Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode which is a little different from the normal episodes. It's minisode number four. So if you're not aware what a minisode is, it's just a shorter episode which has a number of shorter stories. The stories aren't really long enough to be put into a regular episode. So I've collected a whole number of stories and when I have enough of the stories, I'll put together one of these minisodes. Now, they are a bonus episode. They don't replace a normal episode. Today, you'll hear three shorter stories. But before we start, let's do our usual hellos. Hello to Guadalupe Flores Batista, Angie Faust, Rosemarina Mahmood, Warda Rashid, Nikki Van Ruen, Kelly Val, and Megan Evans. And today, we are going to visit the country of Austria as I can see that people in Austria listen to the podcast. So hello if you are in Austria. And also, here are some more countries where the podcast is listened to. I think there are about 100 countries. So some of them are Kazakhstan, Malawi in Africa, Belize, Bangladesh, Namibia, Nepal, Uzbekistan, Cambodia, Panama, There are just so many. It's amazing what podcasts do, that they can bring people together from all of these places around the world. So given the wide audience that the podcast has, I try to explain things in a simple way. As I'm aware, for many people, English is their second language. And I also have to be careful about the Australian words that I use, which people may not be familiar with as we do have a lot of slang words that are just unique to us. This first fact about Austria is about smoking. While most places around the world have banned smoking indoors, in Austria you can still smoke indoors. When you raise your glass to toast with someone in Austria, you need to maintain eye contact with the person because if you don't, Austrians believe you will have seven years of bad sex. Yes, seven years of bad sex. So you don't want to be having that. So everyone, make sure you maintain your eye contact. Vienna has been voted the world's most livable city for the last seven years in a row. This is based on factors such as political, social and economic climate, medical care, education, recreational opportunities, environmental conditions and infrastructure. And as a teacher, I found this next fact particularly interesting. Classes in Austria are taught by the same teacher for four years, and you only go to school from 8am to 12 noon. I really can't agree with students having the same teacher for four years, because the way I see it, every teacher has their own strengths and weaknesses. So kids need to be exposed to a wide range of different people. And, you know, sometimes kids don't get on with particular teachers. And then if you have that teacher for four years, well, I really don't think that that's a good thing. And I know with myself, 
I'm not particularly arty, so I'm always getting ideas from other teachers. So my kids probably miss out with art. And so it wouldn't be a good thing if they were in my class for four years. I mean, I can do the basics, but I can see some teachers and you go into their classrooms and and they've just done amazing things, but that's just not me. And there is one particular teacher that I know who is super smart and has a very high IQ and his specialty is maths. And he's often asked, why doesn't he teach high school instead of primary school? People say to him that he's wasting his talent, but he just enjoys primary school kids. So being in his class for four years would definitely be a good thing for maths, but even he himself says that kids need to be mixed up and have different teachers. And also socially, kids need to be mixed up with different kids so they learn to get along with lots of different types of people. But I can also see the other point of view where a single teacher can really get to know a child well and tailor learning for that particular child. And also, you know, sometimes you just have parents who are particularly difficult. And I know some parents that I've had in the past, and if I had to have that parent for four years, I really don't know whether I could handle that for four years. So all in all, I don't know. I think it's just better if we mix them up. And this last fact, you may know of the energy drink called Red Bull. Well, it was created by an Austrian man. He had tasted a drink from Thailand and changed some of the ingredients and thus created Red Bull. All right, so now let's get into the first story. In this story, you will meet a 19-year-old Cambridge University student from the UK named Alana Cutland. Alana went to the African island of Madagascar on an internship to study natural sciences at the Robinson College. She had been at the college for two years and had been working on an animal biology project, studying a rare species of crab. In the next part of her research project, she had planned to go and spend six weeks at a remote lodge to study the crabs. However, before setting out on the trip, Alana seemed to have had some personal problems which she had shared with people around her and also with her parents back in the UK. She didn't seem to be happy with her research work and was contemplating returning home to the UK. She had spoken to her parents about not feeling well and after a number of phone calls and emails, her parents noticed that she seemed very stressed and not in a good frame of mind. During one particular phone call, Alana was mumbling and incoherent. Her mother urged her to come home and Alana agreed. Her mother then contacted the UK embassy. Given the nature of Alana's state of mind, the embassy suggested that she see a doctor to determine if she was fit to fly back to the UK. The embassy made arrangements for Alana to be assessed by a doctor, but given the remote location where she was, it was necessary to board a plane flight which would take her to a hospital in a nearby town. Her mother was very concerned about Alana and asked a friend and fellow researcher, Ruth Johnson, to accompany Alana on the flight. So they boarded the plane, which was a four-seater Cessna 182. Along with the pilot, there was just the three of them. It was noted by the pilot and Ruth that Alana seemed unusually quiet 
and she also said she had a headache. Only 10 minutes into the flight, Alana undid her seatbelt and did something that the other two people on board the flight could never have contemplated. She unlocked the plane door and tried to get out of the plane. Ruth immediately grabbed her, trying to hold on to her, but Alana fought back, seemingly determined to jump out of the plane. Ruth continued struggling with her, but after five minutes she was exhausted and Alana was able to get free and she jumped out of the plane. Here is the pilot's account of what happened. I had just taken off and I was still climbing when all of a sudden there was a rush of wind and Ruth started screaming. I turned around and saw Alana hanging out of my plane. I immediately leveled the aircraft to try and keep us on course. Then I reached over and held the door. I was trying to pull it shut while Ruth was holding onto Alana's leg. The plane stayed level. There was no rocking, but it was very noisy from the wind. I was trying to fly and stop her from falling at the same time. I was absolutely terrified. We both were. Ruth and I were shouting at her to get back inside the plane, but the whole time Alana did not say a word, she just struggled to get away from us. I have no idea why she opened the door, but she did. She opened the door and she jumped. The door did not open itself. We were trying to hold on to her for five minutes, but in the end there was nothing we could do. She struggled free and she fell out of the plane over the savannah. Ruth was hysterical. She was screaming. And after we closed the door, I turned the plane around and landed at the airport. The whole thing lasted maybe 45 minutes from takeoff to landing. The plane had been at 3,500 feet and everyone had resigned to the grim reality that Alana could not survive the fall. A search was conducted to find her, but given the remote location, there was little hope that she would be found. However, 11 days later, Alana was found deceased. Although it appeared as though Alana had committed suicide, her family had another explanation. Due to the high risk of malaria, Alana was taking anti-malaria medication, which had been prescribed by a doctor which her parents were aware about. A theory was put forward that she had a severe reaction to the medication, causing a psychotic episode. As already mentioned, Alana had not been herself and her strange behaviour had prompted them to get her back home to the UK. And as it turns out, their concerns were totally validated. The medication she was taking is called doxycycline and is an antibiotic used to treat various infections such as skin, chest and dental infections. But it is also said to be effective against malaria. I found information in the British Medical Journal that there have been cases of people taking the drug who suddenly had suicidal thoughts, with some actually taking their lives. In one case, a 13-year-old boy committed suicide after taking the drug for acne. These people had no previous history of mental illness and Alana herself had never suffered from any form of mental illness. Following her son's death, Tara McCarty created an online petition to call for the drug to list suicidal urges as a side effect on the labelling. Here is what Alana's mother said about her. Our daughter Alana was a bright, independent young woman who was loved and admired by all those that knew her. 
She was always so kind and supportive to her family and friends, which resulted in her having a very special connection with a wide network of people from all walks of life, who we all know will miss her dearly. Alana grasped every opportunity that was offered to her with enthusiasm and a sense of adventure, always seeking to extend her knowledge and experience in the best ways possible. She was particularly excited to be embarking on the next stage of her education on an internship in Madagascar, complementing her studies in natural sciences. Alana was also a talented dancer and embraced the more creative side of her talents with joy and commitment. Her thirst for discovering more of the world always ensured she made the most of every second of her action-packed young life. We are heartbroken at the loss of our wonderful, beautiful daughter who lit up every room she walked into and made people smile just by being there. Okay, so that's the end of that first story. So tragic, isn't Oh, I just can't believe it. And it just shows us that, yes, some medications do have serious side effects. And this situation, I mean, if she hadn't have been flying a plane, it may not have happened. It was just a very unfortunate set of circumstances. All right, let's go on to the next story. For this story, we go back 75 years to 1945 in Australia. What happened on that day occurred at a primary school. And after reading the story, I thought to myself, well, this could happen to me any day that I'm at school. So I imagined myself in this situation just at school on a normal day when suddenly we hear a very loud bang. We rush to the window to see what it is. The loud bang was a plane that had crashed. I'm now going to read the account of a student at the school, Ray Litley, who witnessed what happened. We had returned from lunch and were about to have a dictation test when there was a terrific crashing sound outside and over the roof, followed by a whiteout through one side of the tree. We all ran out and were confronted by the two-storey building that used to be a tuck shop across the road in flames. I believe a fuel tank went through the roof and set the building alight. Then I saw the crew member, possibly the pilot, had crashed through the tree branches with a shredded parachute and struck the ground with such force that he left an imprint in the bitumen. Debris rained down on the school and about the suburb. The two engines smashed into homes almost one mile apart, causing damage but no loss of life. We were given a half-day holiday and instructed to get home ASAP. With that, I hopped on my bike and toured the suburb and inspected the damage and naturally being a young boy looking for souvenirs. I am not sure how true it was, but one young enterprising lad had a cannon taken off him by the police the next day. I'm not sure how he managed to remove or carry it. Perhaps he had a billy cart to help. A memorial was placed in the school grounds and two trees were planted in memory of the two airmen who lost their lives. End of quote. So what happened was that a plane had crashed and the two pilots were killed one of them landing in the school grounds and the other pilot was about 100 metres away on the roof of a railway building. The men were Flight Lieutenant David Rochford from Oxford, England and LAC Charles Bodell from Australia. 
They had been on a test flight when it is believed they were trying to pull out of a power dive and the G-forces may have caused the structural failure of the aircraft. Apparently, they had tried to eject, but the parachutes didn't open because they weren't high enough. No one else was killed, but two civilians were injured from the falling debris and 18 properties had been damaged and five houses had been set on fire. And for those of you who might know something about planes, the plane was called a Mosquito. It was May 1945 and World War II hadn't officially ended until September that year. And here's an interesting story. A young boy at another school in the area said he saw the plane explode in the air. And when he told his teacher, she didn't believe him and thought that he was telling tales. So, so get this, she hit him with a cane. Can you believe it? Oh, poor kid. The sight of the pilot, though, in the concrete, oh, that wouldn't have been very nice to see. All right, let's now go on to story three. This last story is only a short one, but it gives you an indication of what some teachers have to deal with. So one of my many jobs as a teacher is to maintain discipline and make sure students are following the school rules. Well, the teacher in this story was doing just that, but have a listen to what happened to him. A 12-year-old boy was in one of his classes and his teacher found him using a mobile phone, which was against the rules. The teacher took the phone from the boy and told him that a parent would need to come to the school to collect the phone. Now, this student wasn't at school for the next few days, and then he arrives with a man who says that he is the boy's father, and the man demands for the phone to be returned. Now, this man wasn't actually his father, but his neighbour. The teacher knew he wasn't the father, and said the phone would only be returned to his father. The man got very angry, verbally abusing the teacher and making threats. Later, the teacher was on his way home in an auto rickshaw when three men stopped the rickshaw, grabbed him and put him into their vehicle. They took him to an isolated location and began beating him, then took off after snatching his purse. He reported the incident to the police and they found and arrested the men and also found the money they had taken. This teacher was only doing what all teachers do, providing consequences for a child who was clearly breaking the rules. And in my own experience, it's happened to me that parents have questioned our school rules. And I would really like to say to them, well, if you don't agree with the rules, you are welcome to take your child elsewhere. But of course, I can't say that. And I just have to grin and bear the abuse. But now I'd like to give you my own personal story about what happened to me and an example of the types of parents that we have to deal with. So a few years ago, it was approaching Easter. I'm going to tell you about something that I do every Easter with my class. You would know that Easter egg hunting is a much-loved Easter tradition. Every year, I buy chocolate Easter eggs and I hide them somewhere outside in the school grounds and the kids have a jolly fun time scampering around trying to find them. But this particular year, it was raining, so I decided to hide the eggs in the classroom. While the kids were at playtime, I hid them around the room. I also wrote a letter pretending to be the Easter Bunny and I put the letter up on the whiteboard. It basically said, this is the Easter Bunny. I came to visit you to give you some eggs, but you weren't in your classroom, so I hid them instead. Happy hunting. 
I had hidden enough eggs so that each child got one egg each and they would be told that they could only have one egg and to allow everyone else to find their eggs. Anyway, the children returned to the classroom. I didn't say anything and just waited for them to see the letter and I was going to act as surprised as they were. So the kids come into the room and then at the same time, a teacher just happens to come to talk to me and I was outside talking with her. Meanwhile, the kids had seen the letter and all hell broke loose and they started racing around looking for the eggs. By the time I got inside, some of them had already found more than one egg and I had to tell them to stop and give their extra egg to the other students who hadn't found one yet. So although they had great fun, it didn't quite go according to plan. Meanwhile, two of the students had missed the fun as they had to go to the first aid room. I told the kids to put their spare eggs into the two girls' desks. By the time they came back, it was already quite a while after the hunt and we were doing something else and nothing more was said about it. Then it was home time. The kids left to go home and I had told them not to eat the eggs until they got home, which was our school policy. However, kids don't always do as they're told and some of them were eating their eggs as they grabbed their bags to go home. Now, two days later, I got a lovely email from a parent. And when I say lovely, I'm being totally sarcastic. Apparently, one of the girls who had been at first aid and had missed the hunt, she saw the other kids with their eggs and she got upset because she didn't get one. She then came to school the next day upset, although I didn't know anything about it because she appeared to be quite normal. The other girl who had also missed out found an egg in her desk. And you remember, I told the kids to put the leftover eggs in their desks. So this girl saw her friend get one, but she didn't find one in her desk. The girl then went home more upset that she had missed out. That's when I got an email from the mother the next day. She painted me as the worst teacher ever, saying, how could you not give an egg to her daughter as well? She was so upset that everyone else got one but her. She said something needs to be done about this and that she was going to see the school administration. So it sounded like she thought I had deliberately made her daughter miss out. So then I thought, well, maybe the girl still had one in her desk and that she hadn't seen it like the other girl had. So I told her to have a look in her desk, but it wasn't there. Then I said, well, you know, maybe your egg is still hidden in the room somewhere. So we had a look and what do you know? We found the egg. I then had a talk to her and I tried to make her understand about what had happened, that she was meant to get the egg and that I hadn't deliberately made her miss out. She was really a lovely girl and I had no idea where all of this came from. And I asked her, did you really think that I deliberately didn't want to give you an egg? And she said, yes. I then tell her what a great student she is and I gave her a big hug. I really felt bad for her as in her nine-year-old mind, she really thought that I didn't want to give her one. Anyway, I then emailed the parent and I explained that it was a huge misunderstanding. Now, after receiving the explanation, what do you think the mother did? Absolutely nothing. She didn't go to administration, but she also didn't reply back, thanking me for the explanation. She clearly had got the wrong idea and made me look like the big bad witch but she just couldn't seem to bring herself to apologise. As a parent, she should have said to her daughter, I'm sure the teacher wouldn't do that. Let's go and see her and sort it all out. But no, she let the poor girl get upset for nothing. 
So all of this drama over a little Easter egg. And this happens so often that kids go home and tell their parents about something that happened at school, but the parents don't get the full story and it's not the kid's fault. They are just too quick to jump to conclusions. I never had had issues with this parent before, so it really came out of the blue. But anyway, this is just one example of what we have to deal with. So everyone, welcome to my world. Crazy, right? All right, so that's the end of this mini-sode. So to end the episode, I will leave you with this quote. Dear parents, if you promise not to believe everything your child says happens at school, I'll promise not to believe everything he says happens at home. Bye for now, and remember to be a good apple.